So when I moved to Arizona in 2012, in a way, I thought that my outdoor adventures were going to be much fewer. And then I realized, wait a minute, there's something completely unexpected there. Welcome to the Here With Her podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Keough. In a minute, you're going to hear more from Paul Firekoski. He's the author of the Arizona Bucket List Adventure Guide and Journal. But first, I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation in which a huge change in your life occurred and it left you thinking you could never find the joy you had when you were in your cozy comfort zone? I personally cannot count the times a shift took place and I felt like I might not ever be happy again, only to find that without the shift, some of the best things that have ever happened to me would not have been possible. Maybe you've had something like this happen to you. You know, you get passed over for a promotion, only to learn later a new position was in the works that your boss knew would be an even better fit. Or maybe your girlfriend dumped you, and a few months later, the woman of your dreams walked into your life and you finally understood why you had to go through that heartache. Or maybe the taco shop you like was out of your favorite hot sauce, and because that bottle was empty, you found a sauce you love even more, and now you can't live without. You get my point. Sometimes it's really that simple. Great things can happen thanks to change. Change is the reason you and I get to read an awesome adventure guide Paul wrote. A big move from Colorado to Arizona is the reason he found a new passion, exploring the Grand Canyon State and sharing it with us. And by the way, I was absolutely shocked and super impressed that I had never heard of a handful of destinations on Paul's bucket list. I'm stoked he chose to share them with us. Paul, thank you so much for coming on here with her to talk about some of the most underrated spots in Arizona. We really appreciate you being here. Oh, and thank you, Kristen. I've been looking forward to it. I love what you do with your podcast. I'm just glad to be able to to share some insights with people about some of the cool places around Arizona. Well, thank you so much. So the book, Arizona Bucket List, it highlights 50 specific spots in Arizona. And what I really like about the book, well, I like a lot about it, but I like that you're really helping people find some things that are a little underrated that maybe they've never heard of or they have heard of, but they don't know if it's worth making the time, making the trip to go explore. And you're really helping us break that down and kind of digest these 50 spots because there are so many places in Arizona And I think that a lot of people who live here don't realize just how awesome of things there are to go explore. So true. So true. In fact, the hardest part about writing this book was narrowing it down to 50. So I broke it out into different regions, right? And it did look like most of the the hotspots were in the northern part of the state, but I tried to balance it out by putting more in north central, the Phoenix and central region, the west coast and Tucson and south to try to help, you know, bring some balance to it. And yeah, like I say, that was really, really tough to narrow it down to 50 places. So you haven't been in Arizona your whole life, but um, from this book, it kind of seems like you have, but you've really only been here since 2012. And talk a little bit about how moving here led to this bucket list. Right. Okay. So I moved here from Colorado. I was pretty active there, mostly skiing, but also doing a lot of uh, kayaking and, and hiking, bicycling, things like that. So when I moved to Arizona in 2012, in a way, I thought that my outdoor adventures were going to be much fewer. 
because how can it compare to Colorado? Well, that all changed when I went to the Grand Canyon within the first six months of living here. And then I realized, wait a minute, there's something completely unexpected there. I knew about the rim. I'd seen plenty of pictures from the rim, but I didn't know there were trails that went down into the canyon. So the wheels started turning at that point. And you ended up going on an adventure to have a soup by. So I think it's kind of cool that what really got you inspired to explore Arizona a lot was have a soup by because that's really what happened for me too is I realized like, oh my gosh, I can take everything I need to survive for a few days, put it on my back, and I can actually go down to this amazing place that I didn't know I was capable of accessing. I didn't know I had it in me to go do that. And that's something I've talked about in this podcast. And you got your inspiration to continue your outdoor adventures in Arizona from that same experience. And it has led you to these amazing destinations. And we talk a lot about on this podcast some of the barriers to getting outside and going on these trips. You know, I think a lot of people, they want to be more adventurous, but they're like, oh, so much could go wrong. What if I get there and it's not even that cool and I wasted a whole weekend? So you've really done a great job in this book of making it so that you know exactly what you're getting into, if you need a permit, if you need a reservation, all that kind of stuff. But I love the fact that you're helping us find some things that are underrated. And what's really cool is so... You guys, I asked Paul to try to narrow it down to five of his favorite spots, which is, you know, when somebody writes a book about 50 awesome things, that's a really, really tough task. So I'm sorry for doing that to you, Paul. But, you know, if they want to see the other 45, they're going to have to get the book. That's right. Now, of the five, and this is this is a goes to show just how much we're missing in Arizona, most of us, I'm the biggest Arizona-obsessed person in the world. And on your list of five, I've only been to one of these. Wow. So you're okay. going to really help me out. So let's start with one of your favorites, Petrified Forest. This is something that I know I need to go see, but I just haven't done it yet. And I think a lot of Arizonans are, are with me on that. I think you're right. In fact, the reason I narrowed Petrified Forest down to one of the most underrated is because when I was there in early September, there was hardly anybody there. There was no waiting to get into the gates. There oh, I love that. No, no trouble finding a place to park. No waiting for somebody else to get their selfies or take their pictures so that I could take my pictures. So or the complete opposite of the Grand Canyon. Complete opposite of the Grand Canyon. And in its own way, it's just as magnificent as the Grand Canyon. Yeah. So in the book, you have a picture of a gigantic tree that, you know, is now petrified and you said that you're about six foot. You're about six feet. Just just shy of six feet tall. Okay, and this thing was way taller than you, so or it was about the same height as you, right? Laying just, on laying on the ground. Yeah. The, the diameter of the tree was about yeah, as tall. Yeah. So as you me. know, in this picture, when you guys get the book, you'll see it's it's the base of the tree. So now the tree's laying down. Paul's standing next to it, and you know this thing's impressive to you. I imagine taking little kids to this park and them just being blown away by the size of the base of these trees. So this seems like a really great place to go and teach children to, you know, about 
what the world used to look like. And you said that they even play a video that kind of simulates like what this spot would have been years and years and years ago. It looks just like a scene from Jurassic Park. That's in fact, these trees were alive during the Jurassic era of the world's history. And they, something happened. They fell over. They got petrified by all the minerals in the soil. And now they remain as rock, pretty much the same size as they, they were at, at that point. So they never decomposed. Now, the other thing, you talk about kids. Yeah, as you're walking around, there are these massive trees, but there are also little chunks of pieces of trees that are this incredibly gorgeous rock that as, as the light shifts throughout the day, literally changes colors. And if that's not enough, then you also... In the northern half of the Petrified National Forest, you have the Painted Desert. So you've got these mounds that, that look like uh, the traffic cones, right, that are yeah. – In fact, uh, some, you know, some of the families that may have gone to Disney and been on these, these rides, the, uh, yeah, the cars, the cars ride, ride. Yes. I think that was inspired by the, the uh, Painted yeah. Forest of Arizona, which is very visible as you're driving through Petrified that Forest. That totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, and it's incredible. In the book, you guys, it's awesome because um, Paul has broken down, you know, the information that you would want to know to be inspired to visit these places. But then he also puts the best time to visit, information on the passes and permits, like I mentioned, the closest town, directions, and even the GPS coordinates and Google Maps code so that you are going to have no problem finding it. And one thing I want to mention is that I am a proud owner of the National Park's annual pass. It is the best deal ever. It's like 80 bucks and you get to go to all the national parks all year and you can actually have people in your car with you so they don't have to pay either. And so the cost to go into a national park like Petrified Forest is $20 per vehicle for that particular park. Ordinary. Some of them are more right. though. They are. Um, but if you get that annual pass, I'm telling you, it is the best money you will ever So spend. true. In fact, the that's called the America the Beautiful Pass. Yeah. And it also covers all those trailheads up in Sedona because they are managed within the the National Forest. And, and then even out along uh, the Tonto, instead of getting a Tonto Pass, this America the Beautiful Pass covers that yeah, as well. Yeah. And you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I learned that a little late. I was still paying for my Tonto Pass every single time. And then one of my friends was like, hey, look on the back of your National Parks Pass. And it it lists off all the different places where it's still, it's still going to get you in for the same price that you paid Absolutely. initially. Definitely so the best value. Saves you a ton of money. So definitely do that. All right. The Lower Salt River, Paul. I love the Lower Salt River because I feel like I have traveled, you know, super far away into this magical place in the middle of nowhere. But really, I only drove like 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of Phoenix. And I've talked about this region a lot because I'm crazy about it. I love going out there hearing the river, seeing the wild horses. It's so amazing. It's just like I feel like I'm just in a completely different place. And I can do that, you know, after working in the morning or after, you know, having a long week. And it just really isn't a whole lot of effort for huge impact. So true. So true. The way I like to describe it is it's less than 30 minutes from Sky Harbor Airport. Yeah, that's perfect. Because anybody that comes into Arizona, if they fly in from out of state or if they've, you know, everybody knows where the Sky Harbor Airport Mm -hmm. is. So less than 30 minutes from Sky Harbor Airport, you can be in just what you described, an incredibly uh, picturesque 
place that is just hard to imagine take being existing in in Arizona. You've got the wild horses; they're they're everywhere. In fact, I was out there last week with uh, with a guest, and we had seen a small band of about five, and within five minutes. Next thing you know, we're surrounded by about 50 wild horses oh, that had all just kind of convened. And this was right before sunset. So you've got the sun setting to the west over Red Mountain, which is incredibly beautiful as, as it is. And then the sun shining on the other mountains over up further up the uh, lower Salt River. It's an incredibly scenic place. Uh, prior to my first experience with the horses there, all I knew about Lower Salt River was the tubing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I because, think a lot of people have that perception. Right. And, and they so, think that you have to use that service to go enjoy the river, and that's not true. So not true, right. Now, another experience that I've had there was uh, kayaking by moonlight. And oh, that's, that's so cool. incredible. So incredible. You know, I've never done the kayaking by moonlight there, but I have kayaked the Lower Salt River. And what's crazy is the horses let you get so close. Like, I remember thinking, like, are these horses going to move? Like, I wasn't the greatest kayaker at the time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, am I going to hit the horse? <laughs> like, right. And they're so calm. Like, they they're just so peaceful. And one of the cool things that I learned out there is that the Sonoran Desert is home to the only horses in the world known to submerge their heads to actually get their food because the grass that they eat is at the bottom of that river. You know, there's right. other grass around, but they can get the really good stuff with the great nutrients at the bottom of the river. So you'll right. see them putting their whole head underwater and then they come back out with a mouthful of grass. It's so, it's so awesome to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. just so calm. It's crazy. You expect yeah. them to be, you know, like running away or scared of you and they're not, they they're... love their home so much. Yeah, really and they cool. just seem to be so comfortable with people. I think they've, yeah. they've just grown up with people all around. And that's the thing is, you know, when people hear wild horses, sometimes they think, Oh no, they're going to be stampeding all around. The truth is they just live in the wild, but they're still very calm and, mm-hmm. and docile, just like horses that you would encounter. Yeah. They're kind of like big a, puppies in a way. In a way they are. They <laughs> yeah. Really they are. seem to actually maybe even sometimes I think enjoy the human interaction. And there is that group out there of, um, advocates for the horses so they're very well protected and you'll see these people in kind of like crossing guard uniforms letting people know on the roads hey there's there are some horses up there so be careful i love that i love the whole community of that and it's wonderful to to get pictures anyone into photography i mean it's an absolute dream out there because you can get the pictures of the horses but just the scenery everywhere and one of the other things i love that we were talking about um before we started taping is how many bald eagles you can see out there which is something that i had never seen in arizona until i went out to the lower salt river and in october of 2018 I went out there. I was at the Granite Reef area, which is like one of the places where you can stop. It's good for dropping in or taking out your kayak. And I saw like three bald eagles. I was blown away. It's amazing. Yeah. Every time I go, I see and experience something completely different, but they're all magical. Very, very cool. And that's one where, you know, you don't need a a permit or anything, you know, depending on the activities that you want to do. That's something where you can really just show up and and take in the sights. Exactly. And then, you know, you could go up to one of the lakes and, you know, you could go on a little boat cruise or something like that. But if you want something that's free and, you know, it's a nice place to just take your camping chair and just sit by the river. And, that's right. 
<laughs> and a lot of, and a lot of people do that. In fact, enjoy your day. you can actually camp right now at the Coon yeah. Bluff Recreation Area during the winter months. Have I've you done that people, yet? I haven't done that yet. I haven't yet. camped there, no, but uh, I've I've seen plenty of people that do it and they look like they just enjoy yeah. it. They, they set up their tents right along the the bank overlooking the river there and they they have all of that right there right out their tent door. Yeah, so again, that was the Coon Bluff little area um, mm-hmm. over there right along the Salt River. So if you guys are interested in camping along the river, that is Coon Bluff. It's C-O-O-N. So definitely make sure that you check that out at some point. I need to put that on my winter bucket list is camping there because I've been wanting to do it for so long. Okay, now the next one on your underrated list is something I have never heard of in my entire life as an Arizonan. So, you know, that just speaks to the value of what you've written here because I can't believe I've been missing out on this. It's amazing. So, so um, you pronounce this for me because I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> this is the way I pronounce it. So keep in mind, this this comes from somebody's last name. So I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's Mendeleff, M-I-N-D-E-L-E-F-F, Cavates. So it's cave with A-T-E-S at the end of it. And so that's basically like a series of caves? The way I understand it, the difference between a regular cave and a cave eight is that a cave eight is one that was hand dug by okay. humans. So rather than being for, caused by natural erosion or what have you, it was it was dug. They were dug. And there were uh, 300 something of them. Oh I have the number gosh. in the book. So in the book, it says these are believed to have been dug out by hand as early as 700 A.D. So this was where people were actually living in these little mini caves, kind of. That's correct. That is amazing. And so you can actually hike back in there and explore these. You can. So if you take the road that goes from Camp Verde down along the the uh, Verde River, you get to a place called Beasley Flat. It's one of those river access points. And from the very first little picnic area at Beasley Flat, you can look across the river and see the caves over there. So what you do is you go down to the riverbank, you you wade across. Some people actually kayak down. They'll, they'll, uh, at the end of a kayaking trip, they'll just park on the other side of the bank and, and go check them out. But once you get over there, yeah, you can just wander around through these caves and you'll see very clear evidence that there was human life here. That's amazing. So 343 total rooms. I didn't count them out? all, but that's what has been documented. Holy that's correct. Wow, right. that is so amazing. And I just love that, like, you know, we're in this world of technology and I just love thinking about how it all began and seeing that. It's just a humbling experience. It's it, a good reminder of uh, where we came from. It really is. It really is. And the thing that really uh, amazes me is that every single uh, dwelling that I've been to, every single cliff dwelling especially, those people really had an eye for scenery because every single one of them that you go into, the the views out, out of these, these caves or these dwellings is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Everybody's so, craved looking at a good sunset or sunrise exactly. since the beginning of time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So as you wander through there, you'll see little fire pits within the, the caves. You'll see the evidence of soot where they had been burning fires. And then they even have like little storage areas off to the side. So you'll have wow, one big, like a closet, almost like a family like modern room. day exactly. would be a closet or right. a pantry. That right. And so then you'll cool. see little little notches in the walls too where 
Uh, in fact, in the the picture in the book, yeah, you can see, see the little that. notches. And you know, one of the one of the guys that I went with one time, he he joked that that's where they put their keys in their iPhone. That is know? hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little cubby. <laughs> little cubby there, and what they stored in there, I, I do not know. But that is uh, really cool. But even just you know anything that makes you think about that, you know, just think about. I wonder what they put in there. Or, you know, I wonder what that was used for. It's just really cool. Uh, um, now. You said that the you obviously have to go through a little bit of water. There's a little bit of wading, um, and you can kayak to it. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the difference in adventure there. Um, you know what you kind of preferred, just your own. Sure. Preference. Well, I've done I've done both approaches, and the kayaking is obviously funner. You okay. get to see a lot more on the river, and there are there are uh, excursion companies that will got you know will uh, take the kayaks, drop them off, drop you off, and let you. So float, it's pretty convenient. Down. Very very convenient, and then you know at the end, towards the end, you just pull over to the left side of the bank and and go on up there. Uh, personally, when I did it, it was just with a group where we shuttled ourselves uh, back and forth, but it is so fun, so scenic, and the the Verde River. Um, as you may or may not know, is one of two protected rivers in in the state of Arizona. Naturally, uh, you know, natural scenic rivers mm-hmm. that are that are protected, uh, meaning they can't be developed or dammed or anything like I that. I love that. Yes, and and uh, so it's just incredibly scenic as you as you kayak down, and then yeah, you just like I say, pull your kayak over on the side, you you, you head on up, check out the. Uh, the caves and then you can finish kayaking down. What an adventure. That is so cool. I'm like daydreaming over here. All right. I'll snap back into it because that just envisioning that it it sounds amazing. And it sounds really like very adventurous because kayaking just adds a whole other element. You know, it does. It's something that I need to do more of because I, you know, I'm a hiker, but I love kayaking. I love that it can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge, but it also requires you to figure some things out. You know, okay, am I going to bring my own kayak? Am I going to use a service? It just requires you to be a little bit more in the moment. And that's, that's what right. I really love about kayaking. Okay, Madeira Canyon, turning to page 105 here. All right, tell me about Madeira Canyon. So Madeira Canyon is quite interesting. It is pretty far south. In fact, it's not too far from the Mexico border. It's, so it's south of Tucson, and you go through a town named Green Valley uh, to get there. It's about 20 miles or so from from uh, Green Valley, and it comes uh, the um, it's at the base of uh, Mount Wrightson, which is I don't know 12 or 13,000 feet high. It has snow on it uh, much of the year, but into into this canyon where all the water flows from the snowmelt is an incredibly lush uh, forest. Okay, wow. with all these hiking trails going in all sorts of different directions. And by the way, it's one of the most accessible, meaning there are many paved trails. So, so somebody that's in an electric wheelchair or what have you, they can Perfect. They can maneuver around through Thank there. Thank you for pointing that out because we always want to try to highlight some things that people can do even if they have limited mobility. And that's really, really amazing because it's hard to find places that are paved. It, it, it is. In fact, I, one Sunday morning, and by the way, you would love the Madera Canyon. There are a few established campgrounds where you pay the fee and oh. so forth. But there's one that I'll tell you off mic. Okay, a little more primitive? A little primitive cool. and incredible views. And uh, at any rate, I stayed there one night, woke up on a Sunday morning, went up for a walk up the paved trail. And I could not believe the amount of wildlife that I had all around me. Wild turkeys, <gasps> deer, 
all all sorts of uh, raptors flying overhead, I've and there never was never seen even, a turkey in the wild. It's it's amazing, and one of them was doing his little strut, uh, oh, you yeah. know, with his feathers all puffed out you and got everything. To see so the, I got the to whole see, show. Right. And <laughs> and by the way, there's as if that's not enough. There are all these little waterfalls uh, just just coming all around. You find you'll see petroglyphs and other evidence That's of, uh, so cool. of prehistoric life there. There's even a, a ruin left there. Wow. Well, yeah, everybody loves the waterfalls. So, you know, that seems to be everybody's favorite thing to go find a waterfall. So anything that has uh, easy access to a waterfall, that's awesome, especially for photography. You know? Exactly. Just, and by I, the way, uh, at the Proctor Trailhead, this is one tip I will say on, on the uh, microphone. By the Proctor Trailhead, there is a, a great, great waterfall. It drops 15 to 20 feet. Nice. And it's only about a three-minute walk from that trailhead. So that's the teaser there. You can get the book and find out more. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love chasing waterfalls. I know everybody does. And I think my favorite part about it in Arizona is just that it's something that seems unexpected. It seems like, oh, it's a desert. And I love being able to show people, yeah, you know, um, it's Arizona. We're in the Southwest. But look at all these beautiful spots with flowing water. And it's just kind of always a nice little surprise no matter how long I spend in a, in my home state. In the desert. I know. The waterfalls in the desert uh, landscape are just yeah. amazing. It just always yeah. seems like a fun little surprise. <laughs> all right. The last one that we're going to talk about here is something that sounds like a heck of an adventure, something that I absolutely have to do. So Keat Seal Canyon. I had never heard of this before, but now it it's definitely the top of my bucket list now. Excellent. And it should be. So here's the thing about Keat Seal. I, I wrote a blog post about it shortly after I first experienced it. And the way I set it up is I, I kind of gave it a rate, a, a rating of one to 10. I gave it an eight with uh, rim to rim at a nine and have a soup high at a 10. Okay, okay so, so that's it's how up there it's, it's, with those experiences. Exactly. Cool. That's exactly what I want. I like to feel the challenge of these things and <laughs> that makes it more fun for me. So I think that's why it's so appealing to me. So this hike, 17 miles round trip and you have to watch a video, right? You have to go through like kind of an orientation process before you're allowed to do it because of the potential danger, the things that could go wrong. Correct. Correct. So th- what you do is, by the way, it is it is free. Okay? okay. And and part of the reason it's on my underrated list is because, again, when I went, there was hardly anybody at this place. You start out in the Navajo National Monument, free to get in, by the way, free to camp. Which is they amazing. Have two incredible campgrounds. And in many places, when you go camping, you have to decide, well, do I want to have my tent in a place where I can see the sunrise or sunset? Yeah. At the Canyon View Campground at Navajo National Monument, you get absolutely both because you're out That's on this so finger cool. that goes out into this canyon and you can watch both the sunrise and sunset. Very there. cool. Is it all tent camping or could you bring a trailer? You can bring a trailer. Cool. I saw many, many self-contained RVs there. Nice. Uh, there are no hookups or other services, but uh, but all right. Yeah, so fill the water tank. Exactly. You know, make sure everything's charged. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's really awesome, and especially if you wanted to make this like a a big trip, you could do the hiking and the camping and really get the full experience of this region. So when you do the hike. I said when you were telling me about it before we started recording, I got a little intimidated because there's some canyons where you know y- y- it could be really dangerous if you went 
the wrong way and got stuck in one. That's right. That's right. So first of all, just to describe the hike itself and, and back to that orientation, what they do is they, they a ranger talks you through with a slideshow the, the steps that you're going to have to take to get there. And not each, okay, every so individual step, but segments. It's not even a video. Segments. It's literally they're taking you through they're, so that you will be safe. Okay. Exactly. And then they give you a one-page handout that's double-sided. And it, and it shows you these different landmarks to look for as you're so, – so it's almost like a treasure hunt. It, it, that's you, really you ha- cool. You, in order to get there, you have to follow these, these uh, very clear steps, right? But the main thing is if you don't follow these steps, you could end up – in a canyon with nobody to be able to find you. And if you run out of water or, you know, slip and yeah, fall, so anything. You, you, you have to be you paying attention a lot of during trouble. that right. slideshow. Exactly. But right. I really like that, again, it makes you be in the moment. It makes you actually pay attention to something. You're not going to be able to pull up whatever, you know, app on your phone. <laughs> you need to pay attention and you need to actually hold a piece of paper with instructions on it. And that's right. It, it just makes yeah. you just go back to being the way we were meant to be before the phones. <laughs> so I really like that. Absolutely right. Right. And that's the amazing thing, too, is that uh, to think, OK, what you're really hiking to is what at one time was a civilization. It is a, is a series of ruins up there that are very, very elaborate, and you can tell that they were built over a, a matter of, you know, hundreds of years. Awesome. All right, so you guys, that was Key Seal Canyon, and when you get the book, it's on page 38. So cool. And you guys, what I really love the most about this book, I really appreciate all the effort that you put into researching these spots and exploring them yourself and giving us all this great information so we can go do it. But what I wasn't expecting is that not only are you providing all that information, you've turned this into a journal for us. So in the book, it breaks down, you know, all the information on the destinations on the left side. And then on the right side, there's all this opportunity for you to write down the date you visited. What was the weather like? Who did you go with? What plants did you see? What animals did you see? And then a spot for special memories. So if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know I'm obsessed with journaling. And so what I like about this is that it's bringing the the journaling into the adventure. So, Paul, what inspired you to include this journaling aspect to the book? Okay, let's start from the beginning. I, I created my own bucket list that I decided I was going to make sure I and whoever wanted to go with me w- was going to experience. That started back in roughly 2014. What I was finding is that my bucket list was getting bigger rather than smaller. In other words, I was finding more things that I wanted to do rather than I was I was checking mm-hmm. off. So I decided to organize it as a bucket list book because it was just a more manageable way to to go about it, just a little bit more organized. The inspiration for the book itself, the format, was from a book that I had from when I lived in Colorado for hiking around the Rocky Mountain National Park area. And actually, I referred to that book numerous times as I was putting this one together, primarily for, for things like format and how to you know, how to uh, construct the book so that it could be most user-friendly. And as I was going through it, I saw many notes that were written, some by me, some by my wife, but the ones that really touched me the most were the ones written by my daughters when they were, you know, three years old, five years old, and they would write, you know, okay, we saw an eagle by Lily Lake, you know, but eagles misspelled and 
And Lily spelled with the L's turned backwards. You know? so, so cute. Yeah. So it's what I think this book has the potential to do for people is to help sort of document those those memories, those those uh, the first time you go to the Grand Canyon, the first time you, you you know go to Sedona, for example, or go to some of these ruins. And by the way, there's there's uh, a total of eleven out of the fifty of these places are completely free to go to, and twelve if you count Fossil Creek during mm-hmm. during its off season. And so I'm hoping that this book will help inspire people, rather than you know sit around watching Netflix on the weekends yeah. to to grab the family, pack with the family, head out, go take an inexpensive, a, a quick trip somewhere and and journal about it. You know, yeah. make, make some memories. And the journaling is so special to me, especially in 2019. We're heading into 2020. You know, just technology has taken over in so many ways. And one of the things that I really hate that's happening is there is nothing tangible. There's nothing that you can touch or look back on. Um, so I'm, you know, trying to put together some memories for my boyfriend and I. And I'm like, okay, um, we're going to go to the Suns game. So I'm going to hold on to the ticket so that I can, you know, remember that time that we went to the Suns game for the first time together. Well, the ticket was mobile. It's all digital. It's all on the phone. There's nothing that we're holding on to that we can touch, that we can put in a scrapbook and look back at later. And I really hate that. So I'm trying to be more conscientious of like, okay, what am I going to remember later? And you know, we were joking. I told him that I wanted to hold on to the ticket. We're like, do we need to start collecting pens from like, what do we do? Because we want to be able to look back on these memories. But the fact that you have built these things together so that you are getting information about where you went and then adding your own experiences and your own memories to that, that's really special. And it's nice to be around someone else who values that. So so thank you for uh, restoring my faith <laughs> absolutely <laughs> in that you know aspect of all of this. So um, people can obviously get your book, Arizona Bucket List, and you guys are going to want to because this is just such a good resource. I'm really glad that you wrote this, Paul. But you can get a ton of other content from Paul, and I actually didn't know until today that you had a YouTube channel. So tell us a little bit about what people can find there. So on the YouTube channel, what I do is I take my iPhone out with me on these various adventures, and I just record things, usually with my voice as the as the voiceover, just talking about. So, for example, one of the ones that uh, that I made is um, is being able to to find uh, petroglyphs at at a uh, particular uh, hike, oh, and so cool. I kind of talk about okay, well here's here's where you you know you take a right, make sure you look for this spot, and then go left. In fact, the I did one video about the the uh, waterfall at uh, Madera Canyon right off the Proctor Trailhead, oh, and I show within three minutes in one clip where to go find that waterfall. Oh, so, so that's the sort of thing. Too. Some of them are pretty quick, lo- some are a little bit longer. One of the uh, the videos that has. Uh, gain the most attention is is the uh, superstitions uh, cougar shadow that happens a couple times a year so so I did a whole video on that of where you know first of all what it looks like but also you know where when and how to go see this thing because it can be quite elusive yeah it's something that I have seen some incredible incredible photos of, but I've never seen myself. So for anyone who's listening and they haven't heard of the superstition cougar before, can you kind of explain what that is? Exactly. So if you're looking at the superstition mountains from Goldfield Road or really from any any place over there in Apache Junction, 
at, at a couple of times during the year, so it happens roughly four or five days prior to fall solstice and is it solstice or no? It's equinox. Oh right? yeah, yeah, fall, yeah, yeah, Fall equinox and spring equinox. Mm-hmm. Uh, about five days prior to that, and about ten minutes before the actual sunset time, you will see this larger-than-life shadow just appear up on the on the mountain. And it is very clearly a cougar chasing after a rabbit. That is so uh, awesome. It, it, it's it's incredible. Wow, that's amazing. And then I love following you on Instagram and Twitter. So, you guys, if you want to follow Paul on Twitter, it's at AZ Wonders. And then on Instagram, it's AZ Wonders underscore C-O-M. The website is azwonders.com. And everybody can just find links to get the book right there, too. Absolutely. Right. And I did want to mention, too, even though I am a big fan of having something tangible that's printed, there is also an ebook version. Okay. I like to think of it as a supplement to this. And the beauty of the ebook version is that all of the links and maps are clickable. So if you need more information, for example, about Petrified National Forest, uh, Petrified Forest National Park, you can tap on the link that I've provided and it'll give you all the details in terms about things, you know, when the gates open, et cetera. But then also the map code you can click on and it'll it'll pop up the map on your phone so you all you have to do is hit directions and it'll take you right there very cool well paul thank you so much you guys again the book is arizona bucket list 50 must see natural wonders in the grand canyon state thank you for sharing this with us paul i'm thrilled to have done it done so and i thank you for the time Kristen. Paul's choice to make the most of a new situation is really inspiring to me, and it's already helped me have a better attitude about some change happening in my life right now. I know that no matter where life takes me, good stuff is on the way. The scenery might be different, but the opportunity for adventure is always available. Thank you as always for joining me on the Here With Her podcast. And thank you to my executive producer, Jeremy Isaac, for all his hard work and the Social Television Network for making this podcast possible. Again, I'm Kristen Keough. You can give me a follow on Instagram. Send me a DM anytime. I always want to know about your adventures. We'll catch you next time on Here With Her.